How long did it take you to make that transition? And what would you do differently today to speed up that process of going from six figures a year to six figures a month? It took about six weeks. Wow, really? Yeah. My name is Sonia Simone from copyblogger.com, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hey, this is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com, and this episode is brought to you by the Premium Productivity Course, which you can access for a limited time at a 50% discount. Just head over to PremiumProductivity.com and type in Time Freedom 2018, all one word, lowercase, and grab your limited time discount now. Don't forget to access all the show notes of this episode at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 152. Let's get on with the show. Our guest today is no stranger to the Productive Insights podcast. In fact, he was instrumental in helping me launch it, both in terms of encouragement and support. He featured as a guest expert in episodes 2 and episode 50, and he's built a highly successful and profitable business which affords him an excellent lifestyle. Now, this lifestyle comprises of surfing at least twice a day and not a whole lot of working. So I'm delighted to have him back to discuss his new book where he reveals his secrets to success and time freedom. And you can grab that book on Amazon. Welcome back, James Shramko from superfastbusiness.com. Welcome, James. Thank you for having me back, Ash, again. It's great to have you back, James. And thank you for all your support and your encouragement in getting this podcast off the ground. I really appreciate that. So, James, could you tell us about your new book, The Promise That It Makes, and then goes on to fulfill in the book, and share a little bit of the journey that our readers can expect to go on when they read this book? The promise is that you would be able to work less and make more after reading the book and actioning the steps that are listed in each chapter. So it's a pretty big promise, Uh and it sounds almost unbelievable. But you can do it because there are counterintuitive approaches that I've been testing on myself and on others, and it works fine. So what sort of things might someone expect? Well, you'll go through a tune-up of the way that you look after yourself, the way that you organize things, the way that you um, prepare yourself to be able to do business. Definitely cover things like planning and goal setting. And then we move into things like focusing on the most important things within your business and by extension your life. Mm -hmm. Then for people who are looking to grow their business a bit or to keep the business the same but do less, we look at building a team and then we focus on refining what it is that you're actually selling. And then we have a look at some of the options that you have to increase the amount that you're making and reduce the amount that you're working. And then we have a look at some of the fundamental things that every business owner really must know, like the customer lifetime value. Finally, we talk about um, different business models and how some of them work better for you than others. Uh And then a general approach about business itself, and that's what we call no compromise. And there is a bonus chapter that's not in the book, but available for download uh, from my website. which is a whole marketing platform. And the reason that's a bonus chapter 
is that is the chapter that is most likely to change with technology. So I wanted to be able to update it continuously, and and the rest of the book is more or less going to be the same principles for a long, long time. So the bonus chapter is going to evolve with technology. I really like that. Now, where can a listener go to download this bonus chapter? jamesshramco.com. I should spell that, Ash, because it's a bit of a mouthful. It's S-C-H-R-A-M-K-O. Okay. I'll link to that in the show notes. And the show notes will be put up on productiveinsights.com, which is where the podcast is hosted. So, James, the promise that your book makes is to work less and make more. And that, I agree, is a big promise. We'll go into this a little bit later. It's one of those things that is simple, but not easy. And I think you've been able to do that with a lot of fluency, or you appear to do it now with a lot of fluency. But it's taken you quite a few years to get to this point. I really like the fact that your general approach to business is almost an extension of life because your philosophy is that business is about creating a better life and a better lifestyle as opposed to just creating this machine that you then become a slave of. So that's where the whole work less, make more idea, I guess, comes in. And you've built the whole journey and the promise of the book around that. Definitely. I think it's a, it's a way of living that is uncommon but uh, really good. Okay, so let's talk about single source dependency. This is something you talk about in your book. What does it mean to be single source dependent and how does this approach help one to become free of being single source dependent? Single source dependency just means you're relying on any one thing. An example that I've heard talked about in some business books is having a one-legged table. Mm -hmm. If you're one leg fails, the table collapses. If you have one income source or one product or one employee and that one thing goes, then it's bad news for you, the business owner. So the solution is obviously to have multiple legs to the table. Uh Or as uh, Jay Abraham has famously said, the, the Parthenon theory, it's having multiple pillars and I'm not sure if you've seen the Parthenon uh, but I visited it earlier this year mm-hmm. and it's still standing even though it got blown up at one point when they were storing munitions in it and the, and the, 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 it got blown up and this thing is still standing it's been standing for a long time because it's so strong it's got multiple things holding it up and it's structurally sound structurally sound, built to last we can Make sure in our business that we're not relying on any one single thing. So a classic example would be someone who has, uh, say they're a YouTube celebrity and they have a YouTube channel and their entire business centers around that. Mm-hmm. And then one day YouTube says, uh, listen, we don't approve of this uh, content. So uh, the account's now deactivated. Yep. And the celebrities saying, hey, uh, you know, this sucks. You guys suck. Um, it's not fair, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really their own fault because they were reliant upon just one thing and they don't own that thing as well. Like, it's even worse. They've got no control over it. It's not even a question of if. It's more a question of when this well, happens in a business. Same thing happens with Facebook, uh, being completely reliant on Facebook. I think things like Facebook, Twitter, they're great. And by all means, we should use them, but only to distribute 
links back to our website. Uh, we still have things like Facebook Live, and they're all great tools, but ultimately we want to drive traffic back to an asset we own, which is typically a website or a business. I think there's also a similar situation when it comes to having a job. 50 years ago, businesses were a lot more stable. Redundancies didn't happen that much, and a job was a stable source of income. But nowadays, having a day job is, in some respects, a little bit riskier than having your own business because you can't control the company for which you work. Well, there's a lot more factors outside your control in terms of where your income comes from. If you're getting paid by one person, that is definitely a single source dependency. Mm -hmm. The beauty of having a business is you could get paid by multiple people. So you'd have hundreds of customers or thousands of customers. Yes. So there are definitely risks in both. I, I agree with you. The notion that a job is not risky is crazy. It's extremely risky. And that is definitely something I talked about in the book. What happened to my dad and and um, what was happening to me was I was starting to get into a high-paid, single-source dependent salary situation. Hmm. And it's a dangerous place to be. Yes. We have other options which didn't exist before. The internet has opened up several options in terms of building businesses and creating products and services and distributing them, which you couldn't really do 20 years ago. You could still have your own business 20 years ago. It's sure. just going to be a different type of business. Uh, even reading books from my great-grandfather, my diaries that he wrote down uh, of his journeys internationally, he was doing a very similar thing to me, but it was just much harder. Hmm. He had to go on a boat. Yes. And he would travel to Russia and buy land, and he'd be traveling around there on a horse and cart, and hmm. then he'd go to America and then sell the land. So he was doing international arbitrage. Yes. It's just very time-consuming, slow, and difficult. Yes. So now the, now we can do this all from our fingertips sitting exactly. at our house. It's amazing, really, the leverage. But it also means a lot of other people can do it too. Correct. <laughs> so you have to be mindful. And whilst it's easy, uh, there are certain things you're going to have to do to differentiate yourself from everyone else who can also do it very easily. Good point. So while the distribution channel and the, the channel for doing business has become a lot more convenient, as you say, at our fingertips, it also means now we have to reinvent ourselves and stand out from the noise. So what do you recommend someone who's listening does to be able to stand out? How do they differentiate themselves? One good thing to do would be to deliver a fantastic product or service mm -hmm. that really meets your customers' needs, that resonates with them well. So... Getting to understand them is a good step towards that and then working really closely with that offer. I call this an offer that converts. Yes. Finding that thing that people want to buy from you and mining that out. So once you sell something that, that works well, if you can identify it and keep doing it, then that's where you can build a real business around that. So most of the business units that I've created have started with a genuine customer need and then I've just scaled it once I realize what that need is. And do you think an important part of that is also finding the right customer? Very important to find the right customer. It's, it's important not to attract or work with the wrong customers. They'll give you a bad reputation and they won't get a result. So I do a fair bit of customer selection mm -hmm. and everything that you do, all of your design elements, your images, your logo, the words that you use all create an impression in the mind of a customer. You've probably heard of this as branding. Yes. 
yes. or design. These things are important elements and there are other ways that you can stand out. But also during that process, you can start attracting your right customer. So if you are marketing to females only, you might use softer pastel colors or pinks or aquas or, or turquoise type colors to bring in that female type customers. If you're marketing to men, you might use strong colors or you know black or dark blue and these sort of things. Okay. One of the challenges that I personally have faced, and I know a lot of other business owners face, is taking what appears to be a risk and going one inch wide and 10 miles deep in terms of a market or a product and saying, okay, I'm only going to target these people. The initial feeling when you do that is, oh, no, I'm missing out on all this other opportunity. Could you talk about some strategies or actions we can take to be more selective and overcome the tendency to want to be everything to everyone in order to try and build your business? The thing that you can do is, uh, and I talk about this a fair bit in Chapter 3, is focus. You have to eliminate some of the bad choices and just remain with the good choices. So for my customer selection, some of the things that I'm looking for, I want to make sure that the people who are interested in buying my solution have the type of problems or challenges that I know I can solve. So that's one thing that I can do. I can attract them. If you think of it like a box of wood shavings and metal filings and the wood shavings are not my customers and the metal filings are. So I want to create a magnet. I want my page to be like a magnet that attracts the right type of customers to it. And it doesn't have any impact on the wrong type. So you can actually repel people with with the words on your page. You could say who this is not for. Mm-hmm. And like if you're coaching, as I do, you might repel people who are lazy and don't want to do the work or who are going to just be over needy and then blame you because they didn't get a result because they don't want to apply themselves. You can say, look, if you think this is going to be all done for you and that you don't have to lift a finger, this is definitely not the right program for you. So you could repel them. Yeah, so that's very important is you you can select the customers by challenge. You could select them by where they're at in business. So I usually target people who already have something, even if it's small, versus nothing. Because I've found that much easier for me to get a result for them is that uh, the more they bring to the table, the easier it is for me to get them a result. This would be like hopping on a motorcycle. You know, If you were to get onto a motorcycle that's already rolling and then just rev the throttle, then you'll take off really quickly yes. versus jumping on a motorcycle that's not even started. Yes. Like it's you've got to get the ignition and the fuel and make sure what gear it's in and pull in the clutch and then start it and then put it in the gear and then start to ease the clutch and then roll the throttle. Like that's a lot of work before you're even rolling anywhere. Yeah. And to take that analogy further, because you don't have proof of concept that the motorcycle is even functional because it's not running, you know, you might even run into other issues where some parts of the motorcycle are missing. So you've now got to fix that before you even get it started and get any momentum. Yeah, and a first-time rider might just freak out and fall off, whereas someone already riding a motorcycle, you'll, well, okay, they've at least got some basic level of competency and they've been through all the hard bits. They know how to start the thing and get it into gear and it works. So you've already eliminated a lot of the possible areas of, of challenge. It's okay to, to basically just remove the options that aren't going to work for you as well and focus on the options that will work really well for you. That's my process. 
Well, James, I've got to say that I have found that in my own experience since I launched my podcast launch service. There are some customers that take it and run with it and get great results. And there are other customers where I am pursuing them to try and get them to do that initial recording to launch it for them. I still need them to record their episodes and I'm continuously chasing them. And so over time, I have started to become a lot more selective about who I work with and I look for clues that demonstrate to me that this person really is an action taker. And if I don't see those, I just don't even take the work on. Yeah, and you can actually actually say that in your material. You could say, hey, this service is ideal if you've already got five podcasts recorded and you don't know how to put them up onto iTunes. Mm. That's your perfect customer. Right. Good point. Now, when it comes to business ownership, we've got two ends of the spectrum, as I see it. We have self-employed business owners who essentially work in a business that they own, and typically the business is built around them and it can't run without them. Then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the more entrepreneurial types who own the business, but have very little to do with the day-to-day operations, and the business is not built around them, and they're not trading their time for money. And that business is an asset that's generating income for them. So could you expand on that a little bit and talk to us about how this work less, make more approach helps you to get yourself to become a business owner as opposed to a person who owns a business that works in it? Well, probably the main ingredient there is the team section. If you don't have a team, then you're a solopreneur. And if you're a solopreneur, then you are a self-employed job, basically. You don't, there's, there's, there's probably not much of a business happening there. So you could loosely define a business as something that works without you like to the extent that it works without you is the extent that it's a a saleable asset yes so if you couldn't sell it or it doesn't work without you it's more job like Hmm. so the team chapter really covers that that's where you start that process of identifying all of the things that you really shouldn't be doing or don't want to do and getting some help with that and this is where the effective hourly rate comes in which i really like and i learned that from you i always knew about it on some level, but I thought you articulated it beautifully, which was if your effective hourly rate, which is your profit for the month, year or week, divided by the number of hours you put in to generate that profit, if your effective hourly rate is, say, 50 bucks, and you can outsource something for $10, then if you're doing that $10 an hour job, you are costing yourself $40 an hour. That's where you need to start leveraging your team. It's a good guide as to to identify the sort of activities that perhaps you shouldn't be doing. Now, if you love that $10 an hour activity and it, it brings you joy and it's something you can't live without, then by all means do it. Like some people just want to be artists and that's okay. Like if you're a documentary maker and you work a long hours and you don't get paid much for your work, but if you love it, then I'm not saying don't do it. So it's it's not a you must scenario. It's just something to consider scenario. Sure. But I like to identify all the tasks that you're doing and then start handing them off to other people mm-hmm. and just keep the ones you like. It is quite a simple concept. It's just hard sometimes to give up some of the tasks that you're actually good at or that you feel that no one else in the world could do as well as you can. And you might be right, but you're probably wrong. Yes. And from a financial perspective or from a effective hourly rate perspective, even if you are the best in the world at doing it, the question is, what is it costing you in terms of other things you could be doing and could enjoy doing? 
Yeah, so there's an opportunity cost, and that's because we have a defined amount of time. You, you can't just add an extra 1,000 hours to your month. Once the time's gone, that's it. Yeah. It's finished. And you can actually buy other people's time. So if you don't want to do something, you can have someone else agree to do it for you for an um, amount. And if yes. the amount is less than what that activity can bring back to your business, it might make sense to do that, to have that, to take that deal. And an important part of being able to find someone to do that work and to do it the way that you want it done is to have good quality standard operating procedures, which you talk about a lot. Okay, now I really like the part where you talk about going from six figures a year to six figures a month after a conversation with Tim. How long did it take you to make that transition? And what would you do differently today to speed up that process of going from six figures a year to six figures a month? It took about six weeks. Wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> it took about six weeks. So I don't, there was probably isn't much else I could have done to speed it up. I was moving pretty quickly. Hmm. And the steps were I attended two events. I met a bunch of high-level network contacts. Yep. And I had a couple of ideas all collide at the same time. So at the time, I was earning about half my salary from affiliate income and my information product. And then when I met Tim and came to these events, I learned about cost per view traffic. I learned about affiliate networks and I learned about some large market offers, physical products. So I started promoting them as an affiliate. I also went to my existing website development customers who I had charged around $5,000 for a website and said, I'm now doing online marketing. Would you like me to look after your account? Nice. And they said, yeah, sure. So I fairly quickly added mentoring and recurring income affiliate products and then a forum uh, just a short while later. And then I spoke from stage at a couple of events and sold some workshop tickets and it just all snowballed. So this 2008 was when I quit my job and 2009 I was flying. Yeah, revenue was piling in and I just kept on building service businesses and all sorts of things. So the, the products that I've offered have shifted around a bit since then. The team size has shifted around a bit. But over time, things like my pricing and my leverage points have improved. So I'm, I'm able to have less business units now and have more profit, which is great. If I knew what I knew now, nine years ago, it would have been good. That's really a big reason why I wrote the book. I wanted to put this in the hands of my kids and say, hey, here's what I wish I had at your age. Okay. So we touched on this before. Work less, make more is simple, but not easy. And I'm sure there have been many challenges that you've faced along the way to getting to this point. Could you share with us the biggest challenges that you faced and how you overcame them in this journey? The biggest challenge is trying to pick from 10 years worth of material or even 20 years if you want to count the stuff I did before I went online. There's a lot of material there to, to shake down into a, a book that's you know, a fast read and easily digestible and actionable. That was definitely a big challenge. And then, of course, going through your own stuff over and over again gets a bit boring. <laughs> yes. So there, there was some resistance to that. The way that I overcame it was enlist the help of Kelly Exeter. Mm -hmm. to wrangle me and, and get this content out into a usable form and to make sure that it, it's tight and written well and 
representative of the material. So I think we got the job done. And it's just a great example of bringing in some help to help you get something done that you shouldn't do yourself or can't do yourself. Mm. Okay, so this is the part where I like to talk about action steps that our listeners can take. And one of the action steps I recommend is checking out the book, obviously, which you can do by going to Amazon. You just go in and type in Work Less, Make More by James Schramko, spelled S-C-H-R-A-M-K-O, and you should be able to order the book on Amazon. I also highly recommend checking out superfastbusiness.com, which I'm a member of and I've gotten a lot of value from. And that is where you have a lot of practical advice around how to apply the principles that James talks about in the book. Are there any other action steps that you recommend our listeners take? Well, I think the most important action step is please get the book because at the end of each chapter are action steps. Right. And they relate to the chapter. I'm cautious about loading you up with too many things to do because it's something that I'm passionately against. You know, I think our goal is to have less things to do yes. and to just do the right things. So the right thing right now would be to get the book read each chapter and follow the action steps at the end of each chapter. If you do that, as some of the people who have already read the book, in some cases three times, I spoke to someone today who's read the book three times, uh, they are already charting success for themselves. They've gone through the activities, they've measured their effective hourly rate, they've blocked out a day of the week for themselves that they didn't have before, they've spent less time on social media, they are changing their product mix from launches to recurring and all sorts of things. So I think there's some gold there, uh, but that would be the easiest thing for you to do to get started is, is to just expose yourself to the ideas and uh, challenge yourself to see, do these apply to you? And are you prepared to try them and see if you get a result? Mm-hmm. And for those who like to read hard copies of the book, that's available on Amazon as well? There is a hard copy going out next week. I've just got the very first proof of it in my hands today, so it's fresh at time of recording. I'm literally flicking through it. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. First (laughs) copy. I look forward to seeing that, James. Yeah. Bring it along to the meetup. I'll sign your copy. That'll be great. So, James, how do listeners find out more about you? Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? jamesshramco.com is where you can get my news and see the uh, the book resources and uh, get a link to the book if you want. That would be a great starting point. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, James. It's been great to have you and I look forward to having you back again sometime soon. Thanks, Ash. Great to be back again. I really appreciate it and, and so much support that you've given me. It's uh, really very nice. Works both ways, man. You've helped me a lot. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 